welcome, and thank you for listening to the Bellevue Sermon Podcast. Today's message comes to you from the pulpit of Bellevue Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama, through our Sunday morning preaching ministry. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you, and that the Lord would use it for His glory. Well, this morning we begin our Advent series that will run through the end of the month, and uh, we realize that Advent, as we've mentioned earlier, is a season of waiting and expectation. This is a season in which we are to center our minds on the coming of Christ and what it means. We reflect on the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus would leave the splendors of heaven to be born as a baby and grow up with the explicit purpose of dying for our sins. This year we're going to reflect on that truth by working through most of the book of Micah. Now we'll not cover all of Micah in the next five weeks, but we are going to hit the high points and we're going to cover the main lines of thought that we see in the prophet Micah. So go ahead and be turning to Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Again, that is Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. As you're turning, I'll give you a little bit of background here. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. They preached uh, at the same time around 700 to 750 years before the coming of Christ. Micah 1.1 tells us this. But here in Micah 3, we see the prophet Micah give a sharp rebuke, a warning to the people of Israel. Micah is a very bold prophet. And we'll see in a few moments that the language of Micah is very vivid. It is very graphic. It's very much to the point. Micah does not pull punches. And in Micah 3, he's going to punch Israel right in the mouth by rebuking sinful leaders, prophets, and priests. And we're going to see that these prophets, priests, and kings are exceedingly sinful. Israel is under the hand of wickedness. Now, If we are familiar with the Old Testament, we know that all the way back in 1 Samuel 8, Israel made a decision. They go to the prophet Samuel and they said, uh, hey, instead of the Lord ruling over us, appoint us a king so that we can be like everyone else. Listen to what happened in 1 Samuel 8 before we move into our text. 1 Samuel 8, the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. 
He'll take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. What happened there in 1 Samuel 8? Well, the Lord told Samuel, The people are not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. The people back in 1 Samuel 8 rejected the leadership of the Lord and demanded that a man rule over them. This problem is the cause of every problem we have. Rejecting God and elevating man is the cause of every problem. It was the sin of Adam and Eve when they ignored God's word and said, we will do what we want. They elevated themselves and rejected God. And from that point, everything and everyone has been affected by sin. But back here in Micah 3, we see that the people are reaping what they have sown. And now they are under wicked, sinful men. These wicked men have rejected the Lord and elevated themselves above God's word. And the Lord responds to this wickedness through the prophet Micah. What does Micah have to say this morning? Let's look together at Micah 3, 1 through 12. If you're physically able, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Micah 3, 1 through 12 The prophet Micah says, And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. 
Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for the truthfulness of your word. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful time of worship that you've given us this morning in which we can reflect on the season, Lord, in which we can reflect upon your grace and greatness, time in which we can sing and confess your glory. Lord, as we look into your word now, we pray that you would move in our midst, that, Lord, your word would shape us and mold us. It would cut us to the quick. It would encourage. It would convict. It would equip. Father, help us to see our desperate need for Christ. Lord, we pray that this message would be your message for your people. You'd use me as a mouthpiece. Move me out of the way. And Lord, that your will would be done in Christ's name. Amen. Micah was preaching to a wicked people. You may hear his message and say, wow, that sounds harsh, right? But let's get some insight into what's going on in the nation. The time which Micah is preaching this message was a time of prosperity. Nation was thriving. And in this time of prosperity, we see that the people did what they so often do. They allow this prosperity to go to their heads and they fall into sin. Micah 1.1 identifies some of the kings who reigned while Micah was preaching. Uh, One such king was King Ahaz. And the life of King Ahaz, the reign of King Ahaz, gives us a good glimpse into what's going on in Micah's day. 2 Chronicles 28, 1-4 tells us what was going on during the reign of Ahaz. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So we see that Ahaz did not serve the Lord. Right? Very clearly stated that he is crafting idols of Baal out of metal. He's sacrificing his own sons in the fire. He was doing exactly what the Canaanites were doing. We remember God told Israel he was judging those nations and that it is why the Lord sent his people and gave them that land. He was running those evil, wicked nations out of the land. He was judging them. And God warned them, don't be like those people. Be holy, for I am holy. And yet what we see is that the very wickedness God's people had run out and destroyed, they have now run back to. And we recognize the why for this is sin. That's why. Sin corrupts. Because of the first sin, every single person born is born dead in sin. And Micah tells them, because of your sin, this land will be plowed like a field. It will become a heap. But specifically in this passage, we see that Micah calls out three classes of people. Micah 3.11 is sort of the theme verse of the chapter. Micah calls out there the heads 
right? The rulers, the kings, the priests, and the prophets. He says all of them are doing what they do for money, for a price, for a bribe. The prophets, priests, and kings of the day, they sin by serving themselves rather than God. They seek personal gain. They seek money rather than righteousness. And so this morning what I'd like to do is examine the charges that Micah brings and show us how the failures of these prophets, priests, and kings point us to our need for the perfect prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. I have four points for us this morning, and we'll begin by looking, first of all, at their fallen natures. Their fallen natures. What does Micah tell us here? Well, again, in Micah 3.11, it says that, again, the heads give judgment for a bribe, the priests teach for a price, prophets practicing divination for money. So naturally, rather than pursuing the will of the Lord and the righteousness, they are wicked and pursuing personal gain and satisfaction. These prophets, these priests, these kings, they're all fallen, and their fallen nature is clear by the way that they elevate self and selfish desires over the will of of the Lord. But Micah expounds beyond that even to more specific sinful actions that we see here. The heads or the rulers are the first people that Micah exposes. The very beginning here, the first verse of Micah 3, Micah asks them, Aren't you supposed to know justice? This is a rhetorical question. Aren't you supposed to know justice? The very rulers who are called to execute justice aren't doing it. And he goes further. He says, you hate the good and you love the evil. Romans 13.3 tells us that rulers are to be a terror to bad conduct and to encourage good conduct. But the rulers in Micah are doing the exact opposite. They hate that which is good and they love that which is evil. It's pure injustice. And the injustice of those rulers who hate good and love evil is illustrated in this graphic, visceral language of cannibalism. Micah says they're eating the people. They're chopping them up like meat for the pot. Now why use this graphic illustration? It's because injustice from the ruler truly does cannibalize the nation. They're supposed to be the ones who know justice. They're supposed to be the ones that exercise and execute justice. And yet they are the ones committing injustice. And it is eating the nation alive. The perversion of justice and truth. It's wreaking havoc on the nation. Micah says, you're chopping up the people like meat for a pot. What people? Notice there, it's not just the people, it is who? My people. Not the wicked. No, the people of God. The injustice is not directed toward the wicked, but it's directed toward the people of God. And so we see that Micah clearly here is is calling them out for the injustice that they're committing. Now, furthermore, in verse 9, we see him go back to the heads. (laughs) He goes back to the kings and the rulers, and he he gets them a second time. Verse 9 says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice. 
He says, you detest it. And you make crooked all that is straight. You build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Micah says, everything that's straight, you are making crooked. And you're building this kingdom with blood and sin. Sometimes I can't help but relate to the prophet Micah here. We live in a world that is governed by the wicked. Even in America, we live under wicked rulers. We have rulers at this very moment who embody the accusations Micah leveled at the rulers of Israel. Think about it. They protect evil and hate good. They will protect murderers and rioters and looters and yet hate innocent life by encouraging and protecting people who want to murder innocent preborn babies. They encourage destroying bodies and gender fluidity and all sorts of perversion while hating the traditional family and hating biblical marriage. We could go on and on and on. But whether it's ancient Israel or modern day USA, the godly have to put on our big boy and big girl pants and call it what it is. Loving evil and hating good. And it's sinful for any ruler to do this. It's an attack and an affront on justice and the God of justice. But we read here that God will not abide these wicked rulers forever. We'll talk more about what is to come to them in a moment. But let's look at what Micah had to say to the prophets. They are sinful as well. Then in verse 5, we see the Lord speaking directly to the prophets through Micah. And what does he say they do? They lead the people of God astray. Then we see how they do it. They preach peace as long as there's something in their mouth. They preach peace when they get what they want. They declare war on those who don't give them what they want. These are the same kind of prophets that Jeremiah would deal with later on. They cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And we're left with this question, why in the world would prophets do that? Well, he, Micah tells us here. Micah 3.11 says they're doing it because it benefits them. Why are they crying peace when someone gives them something to put in their mouth? When they get what they want. You see, the message of peace doesn't ruffle feathers. The message of peace here is equivalent with, hey, everything is fine, you're fine, I'm fine, we're all fine just like we are. That's a message that doesn't rock the boat. So as long as these prophets are fed, it is a message of peace. And the idea here can, continues on, though. This has the connotation that they preach positively or negatively towards you, not based on the word of God or what the law has said, but they preach positively or negatively based on how you treat them. If you scratch their back, you're fine. But if you're against them, they declare war. And they weaponize the word of God and they twist it to fit their needs. And we see that these prophets are leading the people of God astray. There's a fallen nature here, both in the kings and the prophets, and we'll see in a moment the priests as well. But I want us to realize that this same problem is going on today. 
Again, we see that there are many preachers that lead people astray. They preach a false message that everything is fine instead of preaching the word faithfully in and out of season. The Bible warns us repeatedly about the danger of false teaching. 26 of the 27 New Testament books warn us explicitly about false teaching. There are pastors aplenty who will tell you peace. You are perfect just like you are. You're a wonderful little fella or little lady. The Lord will take whatever you give him. You don't need to change. They cry peace and they don't call out sin because it's uncool and it's unpopular and that hurts their bottom line. But Micah calls this out clearly. He says they prophesy for money. They teach for a price. I don't want a false message of peace. And we don't need a false message of peace. What we need is the truth. Biblically, we need to hear from a preacher that preaches the truth regardless of what it costs them. And I have determined that as long as I have breath in my lungs, Lord willing, I will preach the word of God regardless of the cost. This is what we are called to. Sometimes people will ask, why why do we have to preach the truth of the word? Because, you know, it it makes people uncomfortable, or it's divisive, or it runs people off. Listen, we cannot capitulate or compromise on the word of God because to do so is to be just as wicked as the prophets of Micah's day. Avoid false preachers. But Micah also condemns the priests. Not as explicitly as the others, but the same is true. They only perform sacrifices and teach when it's profitable. All of of this reminds us that these prophets, priests, and kings were wicked. And it's no stretch for us to obviously say that we need a better one of those, right? The people in Micah's day, they needed a better prophet, a better priest, a better king. But let me tell you, even the best prophets, the best priests, and the best kings in this world still have a fallen nature. They're still corrupted by sin and therefore cannot be perfect. You see, we don't just need a better prophet, priest, and king. We need a perfect prophet, priest, and king, because even the best of this world are still fallen. Another reason we need a perfect prophet, priest, and king is because of our second point this morning. Secondly, I want us to see the fearful results of sinful prophets, priests, and kings. The fearful results Micah not only goes through here right, and, and tells them you are being sinful and wicked and wrong. Micah says, and here's what's going to happen. Here are the consequences. What are these fearful results? Well, you know, again, Micah is a fiery preacher. The very first words of, the, of his book of Scripture are as follows. Micah 1, 2 through 5. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you. 
the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Micah here, you see, doesn't ease the people into his message with a cute story or a funny joke. No, he says, the Lord is coming in judgment. The holy God is coming in judgment and he will melt mountains and all will be judged and destroyed. Why? All this is for the transgressions and sins of the people. That's the general message. It's not only the prophets, priests, and kings. It's the people also who had fallen into false worship. But Micah gives us insight into the fearful results of following wicked prophets, priests, and kings. First, again, the rulers, the kings. After telling them of their sin of injustice and loving of evil and hating good, Micah tells them what will happen in Micah 3, 4. He says, they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. The Lord will not answer their prayers because they have committed evil. What a terrifying and fearful thought. And the Lord was clear. I will not answer. Now remember, Isaiah was preaching at roughly the same time. And it's no surprise that if Isaiah is preaching to the same people at the same time, and he also is a true prophet of God, that he and Micah are going to be proclaiming the same message. And this is exactly what we see in Isaiah 1.15. In Isaiah 1.15 it says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are full of blood. In Zechariah 7, God tells the people because they refused to listen to him when he spoke through the prophets, he would refuse to hear their prayers. David says this in Psalm 66, 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But lest we think this is only fearful in the Old Testament, we see this in the New Testament as well. 1 Peter 3, 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The result of this perversion of justice is that the Lord will not hear their prayers. This is a fearful result. It's reminiscent of Romans 1 where he says he gave them over to a debased mind. What about the prophets? Micah tells them the result of their wickedness as well in Micah 3, 6, and 7. What does he tell these prophets, these people who are supposed to be bringing visions and, and uh, the word of the Lord for the future? He says, therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no Answer from God. The Lord says, I will put you to shame. You'll have no visions. You'll receive no answer from the Lord. 
Similar to the kings, they receive no answer from God. The result of this sin is clear. There is separation between them and God. The fearful result of wickedness is separation. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What is so sad is that we know that sin separates us from God. But Micah says not only will God not hear, but he is coming in judgment. Micah issues judgment on the whole nation for their sins in Micah 3.12. Therefore, because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Now, if you've never farmed, this is probably not abundantly clear to you what's being said here. What does it mean to say that Zion shall be plowed as a field? When the plow meets the field, the plow literally turns the ground upside down. It's the idea of taking what is in the field like wheat or grass and destroying it completely and turning it on its head. He says, the Lord's coming in judgment. You have sinned. This is the fearful result of sin, is that the, the nation will be plowed as a field. He says, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. Literally, Jerusalem is a trash heap. He says, the mountain of the house. This is the temple mount. The place where they were supposed to be worshiping the Lord. He says, what will happen to it? It'll become a wooded height. In other words, it'll be overgrown. Covered in kudzu. The Lord is saying there's a cost for sin. There are fearful results for sin. For us, we know that the word is clear. If we die in our sin, we are eternally separated from the grace of God. And we are eternally under his judgment and wrath. That is the fearful result. Follow wickedness and there are fearful results. But it continues. Micah says not only are they fallen, not only are there fearful results, but their comfort is a false comfort. Thirdly, this morning, I want you to see their false comfort. How do these people respond to the teaching of Micah? They respond with false comfort. They deny that anything is wrong with them. You know, those who are lost and dead in sin, so often they think they're totally fine and justified in their actions. They think they're invincible and bulletproof. This is the tactic of the devil in the world. They sell you a bag of goods that says there is no consequence. Or sometimes, oh, well, that consequence is far off. That's future use problem. And the people who Micah was preaching to, they totally deny that anything is wrong in Micah 3.11. He tells them that the heads, the priests, the prophets, they're doing what they do for money. Yet, they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Isn't the Lord here in the midst of us? Nothing bad's going to happen to us. This is a false comfort. The Lord is against the face of the wicked. In contrast, though, what does Micah say? He says, as for me, 
I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Micah is saying there is truth in the word. But again, just like the prophets that Jeremiah dealt with, they cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. The captivity is coming. It's a false hope. You see, when fallen people put their hope in a false hope, there is only a fearful result. False hope won't fix or prevent the fearful result. Uh, Today, you can sit here and tell yourself, I can be a good enough person. I can earn my way there. Or even worse, I can get right with the Lord later on when I'm done having my fun. Listen, you're not guaranteed another minute. Your good works, your giving to charity, your grandmama being proud of you, your church attendance... Your Sunday school teaching, none of that will get you into heaven. Nothing short of faith in the perfect prophet, priest, and king will save you. You see, all of this is pointing us to our need for a flawless prophet, priest, and king. And so finally this morning, let me point you to the Christ. The flawless prophet, priest, and king. While the other rulers and every single person is fallen and sinful, Christ is flawless. He is perfectly just. He declares perfect truth for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the king of kings who rules with truth and justice. You see, if we look at the book of Micah, we see that in Micah 1 through 3, he is declaring the sins of the people, right? He's proclaiming this judgment. But in the remaining chapters, he tells them of the flawless prophet, priest, and king that is to come. In Micah 4, he tells of the church that is to come, and, and this is what we'll discuss next week. Micah 4 also tells us that the Lord has a plan in Micah 4.13 to gather in his people, In Micah 5, we're told the one born in Bethlehem will shepherd the flock and save them and bring them peace forever. The remnant will be redeemed and delivered. In Micah 6, he tells us what is required of the people of God. And in Micah 7, we are told to wait on the God of our salvation and rejoice in his steadfast love and compassion. We celebrate this season because Christ came to save us. He is the Word. And John tells us that in the beginning, the the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says, to show us the glory of the Father, to declare to us perfect truth. And Jesus did. He ministered mightily when He grew, and He declared perfect truth in all things. He was the perfect prophet in that every word He spoke is perfectly 100% true, the Word of God. He also served as a perfect priest. Priests, we remember, are primarily responsible for offering up sacrifices. Rather than the sacrifices of the priests in the Old Testament that never truly paid for sins and had to be repeated all the time, Jesus offered up a perfect sacrifice that perfectly paid for all the sins of his people once And for all. That sacrifice was his own life. He died on the cross taking the full punishment that we deserved. He purchased us with his body and his blood on the cross. But he did not remain dead. He rose victoriously as the perfect king of kings and lord of hosts. 
He lives even now, possessing all authority in heaven and on earth. He burst forth from the grave alive, and after revealing himself and teaching his disciples, he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God, awaiting the moment he returns in judgment. He alone can perfectly rule, perfectly teach truth, and perfectly save. Our hope must never be in the fallen men and women of this world or in earthly things, for they will inevitably fail, leading to a false hope and a fearful result. But the flawless prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, will never fail. He's the perfect sacrifice, which secures a perfect hope and brings us into a perfect eternity, a perfect result with him. If your hope is in anything else, it will fail. Turn to Christ. I want to end our sermon by reading from Micah 7, verses 5 through 7. And then we'll conclude with a word of prayer. Micah 7, 5 through 7. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Our hope is not in the world. Our hope is in Christ. Dear Lord, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you so much for sending us a perfect prophet, priest, and king. Lord, we thank you that for your people, we need not fear the fearful results of wickedness because we, again, have a perfect sacrifice in Christ. But Lord, if there is someone here who is still remaining in their fallenness, Lord, who is dead in sin, call them from the false hope of works or from other false religions or even false teachers. Lord, show them the the futility of that false hope and call them out of it to a true and living hope in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that your will would be done now as we reflect upon this word. Help it to take root in us. Help us to apply it to our life. Father, show us our need for Christ and the thankfulness that we should have as believers. Lord, we pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.